Ah yes, another sunny afternoon in South Richfield. Neighbors are out greeting each other on the streets, while the menfolk of town gather down at George's Barbershop to share a tale or two about their trip out west to Hinkley. Oh look, here comes old man Luther right now in his new Studebaker. Ain't she a beaut? Excuse me sir, where did you ever get that shiny new automobile? She's a real humdinger. Oh, thank you, laddie. I had to travel all the way up to North Richfield to buy this here car. That Choma family opened up a car dealership on 21. They've got some real gems up there. Buicks, Fords, Mercury's, Oldsmobiles. But those salesmen up north, they're getting a little too big for their britches, if you ask me. Well, I'm glad we live here in South Richfield, where the people are friendly and the world moves by at a leisurely pace. Say, did you see in the paper where it said that a man is run over in New York City every half hour? Oh, that poor fellow! Somebody should stop and help him up! Ladies and gentlemen, for your listening pleasures, it's time once again to take that proverbial stroll down to the niceties of South Richfield. It's the South Richfield Podcast! With your hosts, Scott Luther and Matthew Choma! Hello everyone, thank you for joining us. I'm Scott Luther, joined by Matt Choma as always for this, our third installment of the South Richfield Rooster Podcast Show. Matt, how are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing great, Scott. A uh, little bit of a cold, a uh, little under the weather, but I'm a trooper. I'll muscle through. Not everyone would sacrifice and stay up late to uh, to do a podcast on a Thursday night during the NFL draft. So we're kind of keeping an eye on what's happening uh, with with the draft. And something just actually happened. I think uh, someone made a pick, but it's not the Browns, so we don't really care. Matt, did you think the Browns were ever going to make a pick tonight? Yeah, it didn't seem like it. It seemed like they were going to keep trading um, until they had 42 picks for next year. But, uh, no, it seemed like they they had a strategy. And I suppose they were saying that talent level that they wanted – um, wasn't there. And the end result was they ended up with uh, what a lot of people think is the number one wide receiver in this year's draft, Corey Coleman, no relation to Casey. I think uh, you know getting three picks for one was great. They moved down seven spots, got an extra third rounder this year and a second rounder next year. Now my son Nolan, he's He's no draft expert, but he did say to me after after hearing of the trade, since I let them stay up until Cleveland made their pick, which I thought was you know going to be number eight, he said that sounds like a pretty good deal, Dad. And I'm like, yeah, it's not too bad because now they have uh they have two more picks. He's like, but they have to wait until next year to use the one of them. I'm like, yep, you're right. So he's on top of it. Yeah, even a nine year old knows thinks that this was a good trade. That might say it all right there. Three is yeah. bigger than one. <laughs> Sesame right. Street does pay off. So uh, we'll see what the Browns do with, with their next pick, which is pick number 32. Maybe they'll take their quarterback there. 
maybe Paxton Lynch will still be available. Well, what do you think? Would you like them to go for a quarterback? Do you think Paxton Lynch is a quarterback of the future? He could be. I mean, I it, I honestly don't care what they do <laughs> at this <laughs> point. I mean, they they have Robert Griffin. They're not going to be good next year. Fill in the holes with the best player available is is really what I would think they should they should do. I'm with and you. It's probably yeah, it's probably what their analytics is telling them too. Hey, let's see uh, who who's going to be who's been undervalued so far this draft. And let's grab them. Right, right. There are, again, as we've mentioned in our past podcasts, and I think we've predicted every single one of these picks. You have to go back and download those to make sure. But I think we've predicted everything so far correctly. <laughs> but, yeah, there's so many holes on the Browns team that best available at this point is the way to go. Yeah, and they have, I mean, they have six of the top 100 picks right now. They're, they're going to get some talented players. It's going to be a young team next year, it looks like. With uh, 11, well, not everyone, maybe not everyone would make this team, but you, you could, you're going to have 11 draft choices fighting for a roster spot here. So, right. We'll of see. Those, of those six, somebody in there is going to be a bust, but you just hope by the law of averages for that bust, there will be a, a breakout star. Right. And how about the Buckeyes? with uh, three of the top 10, and they also had number 16. Yeah, long-term, that is uh, nothing but great for Ohio State, and in particular, Urban Meyer's recruiting efforts. If, he, if there's a guy on the fence you know, about going one way or the other, Urban Meyer can say, uh, yeah, that's great. Um, by the way, did you know I got four guys in the first 16 picks in the NFL draft? You right. come to Ohio State, that can happen for you too. What is the strangest thing you've ever eaten, Scott? The, str- the strangest thing I've ever eaten. Oh, geez. I'm not, I'm honestly not that adventurous of an eater. So, I'm, like, craft uh, cheese and macaroni uh, with, with a little extra cheese? With the white cheddar? White cheddar. In, in, instead of the yellow? You know, I wasn't even a mac and cheese kid growing up. I hated mac and cheese. What was the strangest thing you ate? What? Ma- oh, Ma- uh, Ra- Rachel just stopped by. Oh, what's this? Ask her what the strangest thing she's ever eaten. Larvae and crickets. Oh, I know. Rachel's eaten larvae and crickets, and she actually just had some like a week ago or something, two weeks ago. Wow. She had some uh, crickets. So where'd she, where'd she eat crickets? Was it not in, in your garage? <laughs> oh, <laughs> down, down at Roscoe Village. They've got good crickets in Coshocton. Yeah, it's not Roscoe like Roscoe P. Coltrane. Come on, Flash, let's get him, girl. It was a uh, Roscoe Village, where the the old timey uh, you know butter churning shops are and stuff. I don't even know the most the strangest thing. Oh, how about a, a soft shelled crab? Uh, that's a menu item. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this as as uh, your roommate, and I suppose this is more me than you. Oh gosh! But it was uh, uh, unusual for me to see you cooking in the oven an entire tray of breaded chicken gizzards i forgot about gizzards that's probably i would say that's probably the strangest thing i've ever eaten but i grew up eating those okay and, and <laughs> i know uh you move in with someone uh you don't expect them to be making gizzards at night with a shake and bake you want me to? <laughs> no i'm talking to matt you want i used to, to make, make these gizzards? in 
uh, I would love you for you to make me gizzards. All right. <laughs> <laughs> She's been failing you as a wife all this time. <laughs> I know. I think we've only had gizzards once since we've been married. You ate alligator soup. No, it was rattlesnake and rabbit. That's mm. what it was. Mm. That sounds delicious. Yeah, that's. <laughs> was that it? Was in, a zoop. Was that in Arizona? It was after you got your rattlesnake tattoo. No, it was in Solon. Oh. <laughs> Exotic Solon. Right. It was after I got my rattlesnake tattoo. <laughs> they call me Two Fangs. When I flex, it wiggles. It'll bite you. Don't get close. Uh. So the strangest thing I've ever eaten is probably gizzards. Like you pointed out, I, I mean, it's been so long since I've, I've enjoyed gizzards. What makes a good gizzard? Oh, Matt, you need to get the breading on the gizzard just right. You want to, um, you know, dredge the gizzard dredge? in flour. Oh, okay. Dredge. So you have like an egg wash. You you yeah. You need some sort of you know moisture on the gizzard. Maybe soak the gizzards in milk or buttermilk. Mm. Then dredge them in flour. Okay. And then uh, egg wash, like you said, and then breadcrumbs. Okay. Uh, a little pepper could, cracked in there, maybe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whatever kind of seasons you like. All right. Maybe a little cayenne, pepper. Mm. A little um, hot. Yeah. If you want some spicy gizzards. And then you could either deep fry them, or I guess I was probably using shake and bake in college. Yes. The only thing, I don't remember frying a lot in college because uh, I couldn't afford uh, vegetable oil. oil. Okay. <laughs> I didn't have a good place to store the spent oil in college because our apartment was kind of small. You get that good breading on the gizzard, and gizzards are tough and chewy. Tough and chewy. And that's what you want. <laughs> oh, that's what you're looking for in a gizzard? That's what you're looking for in a gizzard. If I remember my uh, chicken physiological makeup, the gizzard is... Uh, Sort of a grinding muscle in the, in the throat, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Very good. And, well, I guess that, that would explain why they're tough and chewy, because it, it's there <laughs> to grind up grain. Because chickens don't have teeth. <laughs> Do the folks out there know that you grew up with uh, a few chickens? Most, my, I think most people listening to this podcast would remember that I, I grew up on a on a working egg farm, where my brother John and I had to go out every night and gather eggs from about 12,000 chickens that were in that one chicken house. My dad always had, he probably had another four to 6,000 in reserves, kind of younger chickens that you'd constantly be rotating older chickens out, sending them to, you know, the chicken factory, <laughs> to Campbell's Soup or wherever. The 12,000 were like the first bench and the, the other guys were the second stringers. Yeah, so you'd have like all these chickens of laying age down in the main chicken house, and we'd gather those eggs. And on average, a chicken that we had, white leghorn, would lay about 300 eggs a year, 300 to oh. 300 to 330 or something. They take like they take like a, a day off a week. Let's say right. let's say so. Like I said, between 300 and 330 eggs a year. That's a lot of eggs. That's you know, and they have to constantly have you know they have the one egg coming out. But on the inside of them, back up in there, they have to have like uh, several in the in the chamber ready to go, right? I did a book report on eggs at Richfield Elementary School. 
I actually still have it because I'm a pack rat. It's in a red Trapper Keeper folder. But yeah, those eggs, I don't know how much energy the, the uh, chickens have to put into creating an egg. But, it, you know, it's a shell and a yolk. <laughs> I, I wish I could remember everything about an egg. Well, that's why you kept it. Uh, yeah, I, I could go look at it again. We do have some chickens roaming around the farm still. Even though when I went off to college, I remember, I actually remember talking to you about this one night. Uh, when my parents told me that they were getting rid of all the chickens. And I I don't know if you remember that, but I was at Toledo with you, and uh, they said, Scott, we're uh, going to get rid of the chickens. Actually, my mom probably told me because I never talked to my dad on the phone. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> she she did let me know that they are going to get rid of the chickens. How did that make you feel? Was that uh, a bit of a shock? I mean, you grew up with them. It was kind of sad because you grew up with them. You were proud that you, you know, you could say, oh, if you go to the country counter, uh, you'll see eggs from Luther Farms. Yeah. But honestly, thinking back in the the 80s and 90s, eggs were always like the same price at the grocery store. It's like 69 cents a dozen. And it was always 69 cents a dozen for like years. Like everything else would go up in price, but eggs were always like 69 cents a dozen. Eventually, the chicken feed was more expensive. It kept growing in price. Chickens were not profitable. Unless you had one of those huge egg laying operations, like with half a million chickens, you weren't going to be making any money. Even though my dad my dad loved it. He was great at you know going around to the different uh, restaurants and grocery stores and selling the eggs he loved he was in his element he'd you know i'd go with him every tuesday and friday he'd be out there with his egg van dropping off cases of eggs to these different places all over akron and cleveland so it was fun to go with him and you know he'd take you out to lunch and it'd usually be like skyway uh, uh-huh. because one of the one of our biggest customers was bissons down in fairlawn so uh he usually when we get the bissons we'd deliver eggs and then we'd go over to uh skyway <laughs> and get a uh, get hamburgers and french fries and onion rings so that's kind of a big deal you know hanging out with your dad like that and you really get to learn the whole area and you know who doesn't like bonding time with their old man yeah and he was good at math <laughs> he'd he'd be like scribble he had this pad and he just scribbled down these numbers and he'd say okay uh that's uh you know fifty dollars for these you know however many eggs he was dropping off Honestly, they could have been making a ton of money with only, you know, 12,000 chickens. I mean, if everyone lays an egg, that's a thousand dozen. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Is, that, is my math correct there? Your math is so, good. So, I mean, a thousand, a thousand dozen, if you're selling them for 50 cents a dozen to, to whoever's buying them, mm-hmm. and then they're marking them up to 69 cents or whatever, you're, you're making 500 bucks a day. If, yeah. if uh if you're if you if you sell all the eggs and there's they weren't selling 500 dozen eggs everywhere i don't think and i don't know how much it costs to keep all those chickens and yeah. keep the building and all that stuff all the and feed and everything the cartons and the and and all that so so you and your you and john would have to collect six thousand eggs each every day yes wow the chicken house was split into two sections we got these automated uh plastic cages 
probably when I was around 10 years old. It used to just be all wire cages. And you'd have to push this cart by hand up and down the rows and, and gather these, these eggs. And you'd scrape your knuckles against these metal feed boxes, trying to reach under to grab these eggs. And the chickens would peck at you. <laughs> and it smelled awful, even though we were used to it. But if you ever brought a friend over, and I know you, you'd come over sometimes, uh-huh. nobody would want to go in there. It was dusty and awful. But then we got these uh, plastic cages, and they had conveyor belts. So when the chicken laid the egg, it rolled down on this conveyor belt, and then you'd flip a switch, and the conveyor belts would bring all the eggs up to the front of the chicken house for you. And you just stand there and gather the eggs and put them in these flats. And then the next morning, my grandma and aunt would wash the eggs and candle the eggs and send them down through this machine that would weigh them. And so you know if you're, you know, they're medium or large or extra large or, or whatever. So there's a lot of man hours involved in that then. Yeah, it was, I guess it was hard work. <laughs> but it was, it was, you know, we were used to it. It's kind of nice to have grown up with that kind of work ethic even though you didn't want to go out there every day and do it you had to and you knew if you didn't go out there and do it that day it'd be twice as hard the next day and you go like oh grandma there's too many eggs can you come help me and then your grandma or aunt would always come out and help you because they felt bad for you <laughs> and you get to keep the two dollars you made even <laughs> even though you <laughs> wait you get two dollars two dollars for six thousand eggs yeah. Your dad was making out on that one. If you're in the wire cages, you probably collected 4,000 eggs. But if you're in the plastic, you collect 8,000. But it was, it would take about the same amount of time. I used to keep a notebook with a stopwatch uh, where I'd write down my times of how fast I gathered the eggs and how many I gathered. And oh. I'd put the date and I'd have my little, okay, I, I, you know, I gathered you know, 3,800 eggs today in 50 minutes. I don't know what happened to that notebook. It's pro- it might be down there somewhere. <laughs> Who knows? If if uh, anybody's seen my notebook, uh, I think it was, <laughs> it was a brown burgundy color, like cardboard cover, and I think it has times of times and eggs. <laughs> so if you see it, please return it to me, and I'll give you a reward. Would you ever lose an egg? Oh yeah, we <laughs> we'd lose eggs all the time. We'd break a lot of eggs. I remember um, one time, probably in kindergarten or first grade, Corey Felix was over, and she and I were down in the chicken house, and we started throwing eggs at the wall. Oh, no. And we we probably threw at least 50 eggs at the wall of the chicken house before my dad found us. Oh, my gosh. That's $25. Well, 50 eggs is like four dozen. It was four dozen eggs for $50. Oh. Uh, I don't know. I I guess my math's wrong on that. (laughs) Oh, it's 50 cents a dozen, not 50 cents an egg. Okay, Yeah, 50 Sorry. cents an egg. Yeah, I got in trouble. On... How soon would you, would you uh, ship them off to Campbell's? Or, and how would that happen? How would you know? That it's... I think it's like two or three years, maybe. And no matter what, that chicken's just going. They're a good laying age. They're at a, you know, there's, I guess there must be a peak age for those chickens. Okay. Like a running back reaching age 30. After that... <laughs> Ship that running back off to Campbell's. Unless you have the Adrian Peterson of chickens. Right. The, that chicken had a re- reconstructive knee surgery and still laying. <laughs> the biggest age you've ever seen. But don't get it mad at you because it'll have to teach you a lesson. Hey, well, Scott, I don't know if you knew this, but um, 
we too here in Toledo, well, White House, Ohio, actually raised some chickens. It wasn't an operation as large as your guys, a little bit smaller. We oh, had. Tell. Oh, I will. We had six buff Orpingtons. And we had. Oh, show hens. Yes. They, they were some buttes. And we had. Uh, my father in law made us a, um, a pen for them. And uh, we had bales of hay for them to climb up on and heat lamps in there. And just like you said, we'd get uh, an egg a day practically. Well, after a while, it started to stink a little bit. And that um, tends that, to Yeah. And that started to attract some attention, unwanted attention, I guess. It happened that one night I was out. I was uh, going to close them up, feed them, and water them for, uh, for the end of the night. It was dusk. So the sun had set and everything was kind of dark. And I walk into the pen, close it behind me. And we just had the, uh, the pen itself fenced around a tree was where we had the hens. And I hear some rustling in the tree above me. And I look up. Can I guess? Can I guess yes. who it was? Who was it? It was Cardi Finkbeiner. <laughs> Good coming guess. Coming to raid the coop. Good guess. I, I could see why you would make that. But no, it was a freaking raccoon. This son bitch drops down right in front of me. And I couldn't believe what I'm seeing. And we had, we had lost a hen the night before. And he, he, this little effort was back to do more damage. Well, the, we, I had just built an addition onto the, the hen house. And there was a two by four that was sitting on the, on the ground. And I, I picked the thing up and I'm just in a rage. He's after my girls. So I take a swing at it and I miss. And I take another swing. I miss again. And, he, and I said, crap, I'm, he's racing towards the hen. So I slam their door shut. And I get between him and the hen house. And stomp my feet at him. And he starts trying to get um, running away. And I take a swing at him. This time I connect. I, I clip him just a little bit. And he's climbing right up the, the fence post. And I got a clear shot at him. And in the dusk, I give a whack. Whap! And I hit the thing. And I think, oh, my God, I broke its back. I killed it. But no, he keeps climbing and runs on over uh, down the other side and takes off down our driveway. And I think, he's got away. He's going to be back. He's going to be back. And I, I see just this little dark figure running down our drive. And then I see a car coming by. <laughs> and the car stops and then starts up again and pulls down the road. <laughs> The next day I get up and I drive to work or I pull out of the driveway and there off to the side of the road is that dead little bastard. Jeez. Oh, I think it, he was wobbling on the way down there walking towards the road. But but nobody bothered our chickens ever again. But that was that was the end of our experience with the hens. We, we returned them to my father-in-law and he, he took care of uh, or they went in with his, his group. Did you tell the kids that, did you do it like while they were at school and tell them that they went to live in the country? <laughs> they really did go to live in the country. <laughs> I don't remember them actually leaving. I, I remember us breaking down the whole thing and kind of being, you know, we're. You're probably we kind in, of relieved. Kind of relieved, yeah. And I think our neighbors were really relieved because the flies started to get a little bit um, annoying and uh, the smell was a little bit much to bear. You know those those leghorns that we had growing up. Those are not the best eaten chickens. They're not bred for like meat. 
So okay. they're they're strictly egg layers. So that's why you're you, they're not Tyson quality or or something like that. Uh, they're not they're not meat chickens. Uh-huh. Now my brother Tim, he started raising meat chickens last year, and he's uh, he is selling them up at the uh, market in the summers. West at uh, Luther Market. Yeah, Luther Luther Farm Market. So. Mm-hmm. You can go up there and actually buy some good meat chickens, as well as the our fabulous Black Angus beef uh, up at Luther Farm Market. So, open from July to Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> hay rides included. Hay ride, hay rides in the fall at the fall festival. Hay rides, pumpkin cannon, and uh, the corn maze and hay maze and corn pool. Wait a minute! All wait kinds a minute. of events up there. Pumpkin cannon. Yeah, my dad built a pumpkin cannon. It's been a, a long time. He's probably been he's probably been doing that for eight to ten years, I bet. Wow. Yeah, so it shoots pumpkins out into the woods behind the farm. Ever measure how far with what the longest shot is? No, because it's way it's going out towards uh, you know, the, he's shooting them he's shooting them west, so from Alger out towards like Broadview Road, <laughs> across that. The empty spans by the uh, power line towards the uh, Byzantine, I think it's a Byzantine monastery back there. So he think he thinks they'll go. They go half a mile. Oh my! Quarter, quarter to a half a mile. These things go flying, and they're those little pie pumpkins. Uh huh. So he's uh he's shooting them. You can go, <laughs> you can go on YouTube and search for um, pumpkin cannon or Luther Farms pumpkin cannon. I saw someone put world's biggest pumpkin cannon and it's a picture of my dad's pumpkin cannon, which it's no way the world's biggest pumpkin cannon. But, and then like channel eight's been out here, was out here last year doing a whole news thing on the pumpkin. Oh, really? Was it the I team? Carl Monday was out. It it was Wayne Dawson and, and some (laughs) other people. And, and the producer said, Hey, we got a good, good bit. They put a cardboard cutout of the news crew out in the field. And Tim, they have a smaller pumpkin cannon too. It's like a howitzer. <laughs> and, and they lined it up and they went, the, the people in the studio didn't know they, you know, what was going to happen. So they, they, you know, said, uh, here in Richfield, uh, we have, uh, it was Kenny kicking it with Kenny. Yeah. Uh, kicking it with Kenny. They're out at Luther Farms in Richfield. Kenny, what's going on? And they're like, we have a surprise for you. And they showed this cardboard cutout out in the field of, of the anchor team. And then three, two, one, boom, the pumpkin cannon goes off. It blasts a hole right through one of the anchor women oh, in no. the cardboard cutout. She's like, she has a hole in her. And there's, if you watch it in slow motion, you just see this pumpkin flying right through the middle. There's a perfect hole and her, and you go, the shot goes back to the uh, to the studio, and she's like horrified. <laughs> I saved it on DVR. Oh, poor Stephanie Schaefer. I can't believe that happened to her. Mm. But, That's uh, funny. Yeah. So, so there's all kinds of things to do up at the uh, up at the farm market in the uh, in the fall. You guys should come out sometime. Oh, count on it. Count on it. Yeah. Yeah, there must be some sure. place out in the woods where all these pumpkins are landing that <laughs> there's got to be a massive pumpkin patch out there of wild pumpkins. And maybe even some deer carcasses. 
Who knows? <laughs> who knows what water water water. Or, or maybe a knocked out Byzantine monk. This oh. <laughs> father Mokiki. <laughs> he can't even. He can't even call for help. Well, Paxton Lynch was just taken by the Broncos. Number thirty-one. Number twenty-six. They traded they, up. They traded with Seattle. It looks like. All right. Well, what does that tell you about uh, their feelings on Mark Sanchez and I guess Colin Kaepernick? Do they have Kaepernick? No, but I not. They're not even going to probably attempt to get him now. No, I would not imagine. now. I was actually thinking today that John Elway should was probably thinking he could probably come out of retirement just to you know hold down the ship for a little bit because if Peyton could do it, <laughs> and he was all old and broken, yeah. Why, why not John? You know, Jerry that, would, would do that. That would be something. That would. It would be something to see John Elway. I almost asked somebody at work today what they thought of my of, of my theory, and then I thought the better of it because I never talked to that guy. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that should be our first conversation. Uh, did you hear about John Elway coming out of retirement to you know, the quarterback to Broncos this year? I should have just said that. <laughs> that could have been a good conversation starter. He would mark you as a liar from there on out, or at least a very untrustworthy uh, yeah. person. <laughs> That's okay. I don't really work with him that much. Obviously, since I haven't talked to him ever, <laughs> except a, a nod as you're passing in the hall or in the parking lot. You ever have those situations where you see somebody, and you give them the nod every day, and then a few weeks go by, and you're giving the nod, and you realize that, you know, I, I don't know that person's name, but I know they told it to me. Then weeks go by, and weeks turn into months, and you realize that you, you still don't know the person's name, and you've had whole conversations with them. But it's to the point now where you, you can't ask them their name. But you carry on this sort of fake relationship with them. And you know that they have kids, and you know that they have vacations coming up, and their dog was sick, and you still don't know their name. <laughs> so you can say, geez, that's, that's rough news. Sorry. I'll be thinking of you. Hey, Matt. Yeah. Hey, I was uh, reading the news, and oh. I found an interesting story out of New York City. Okay. Um, what, what happened? So this guy, he was sucker punched in the face by a stranger at a train station. And as his assailant punched him, he told him that he was punching him because he looks exactly like Shia LaBeouf. I would have hit them. I would have hit him twice if he didn't cry out. Marco Licata, age 26, said he was walking up the stairs at the Essex and Delancey F train station after 8 p.m. Saturday when he was suddenly attacked by the stranger. I literally just saw a fist for a a split second, Licata told the New York Daily News. It knocked me, and while I was falling down the stairs, all I hear is, this is because you look exactly like Shia LaBeouf. (laughs) That's reasonable, though. I, I was so confused. I was even more confused because I got up and I was like, am I crazy or did I just hear him say, this is because you look like Shia LaBeouf? And witnesses were there and like said, nope, that's exactly what he said as he was running away from you. Did they show a picture of the guy? It's just a picture of his black eye. Oh. So I guess there's some resemblance, but Licato, who filed a police report about the attack, said it wasn't the first time he's been accused of resembling the controversial actor and performance artist. I've gotten it so many times, I can see it, he said. Some of my friends say yes, some of my friends say no. Licato says 
He does have one question for his attacker if police are able to identify him. I want to know what Shia LaBeouf did to him, Licato said. What did Shia LaBeouf do to him that he punched somebody who looks like him? Did you see Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skulls? No. (laughs) I think that's reason enough. I don't think I've seen anything with Shia LaBeouf since Transformers. That's another reason. I forgot all about that. What if Optimus Prime punched him? Uh, Optimus Prime's a good guy, though. He wouldn't do that. Okay. But maybe like... uh, and all that, that relationship he has with Bumblebee, like, isn't that funny? Uh, no. Megatron should have just stomped on his annoying face. It sounds like you have some uh, pent-up anger with Shia LaBeouf also. I'd have punched that guy just for looking like Shia LaBeouf. Well, I, maybe not just for looking like him. Maybe if he sounded like him and if he acted all douchey, maybe. No, I'm a nice guy. I wouldn't have done that. Unless he stole your girlfriend. <laughs> Has Shia LaBeouf ever stolen one of your girlfriends? Um, well, I, I, would, I, I guess I, I don't know if Shia LaBeouf gets around like that. A great many people could say that they have, but I don't think Shia LaBeouf was, was one of those guys. I'm not one of those guys either. Oh, I, oh good. I would never have done that. Hey, that'd have been all right if you did. Thanks. You're good people. But Shia LaBeouf... Mm. It's funny how some people just have, uh, just inspire such uh, just dislike. Such rage. Yeah. Have you ever been in a fight? Just once. With your brothers or with outside? Brother fights don't count because that's fights just don't count. party growing. That's party growing up. Right. Just one uh, fight at, in high school and that was it. How about you? Uh, one fight outside of a brother fight uh, or the brother fights. That I can remember, at least. Uh, I've been in shoving matches and all that sort of stuff. But I was working at McDonald's, and there was this guy who also worked at McDonald's. This is I was fifteen, I guess, and he was like in Brexville. Uh, in Brexville, right? And he was uh, eighteen or not? I don't know. He was older. He was a high school senior. Or he graduated. I really didn't know the, his whole story. But he was leaving the McDonald's group. He had been there for several years and now he was leaving and he kind of had a bad attitude about it and i was the newer guy that had come in and i'm trying to remember what the whole thing was he was always giving me grief he's picking on me is what it was as he was leaving and i just i remember i was outside throwing the garbage into the dumpster (laughs) and they had the dumpster enclosed in a in, in like a brick walled area and he comes walking in in there and starts shoving me around and i had just had it at that point so I whipped the garbage bag around and I hit him with it. And he wasn't expecting me to use that ninja type move. And uh, then I, I grabbed him and then threw him against the dumpster and just started wailing on his kidneys. And uh, <laughs> and that was that was it. He never bothered me after that again. Oh, I, he he came he came in there and he he grabbed my hat and pushed it down over my face and then he he shoved me. That's what it was. The hat had, with the paper on top? No, I had a... Or was the cap? It, it was the baseball hat. Oh, you guys had caps. You guys were lucky. We had the paper things. Did you work at the one on, on the turnpike? Yeah, I worked at the one on the turnpike. Eastbound. Yeah. Yeah, were you there with, da- with Dave Solomon and, and Dave Barta? They were west side. Oh, west side. They are westbound traffic. We would see each other every once in a while if we ran out of towels and you had to deliver things uh over to the other side of the of the turnpike now you would not 
you would not cross the turnpike. That was not encouraged. You would drive around the service roads on Broadview, Broadview and Edgerton. Uh, yeah, I'd get to see those guys every once in a while. And Angie Smith's mom, Claudia, worked there with me. How long did you work there? I worked, I worked there like two or three years. Wow. Right from when I was 16 until I graduated from high school. I saw a stat somewhere that I saw the stat that said that one in eight Americans has worked at McDonald's at one point in time. One in I eight. I believe it. I mean, you worked there. I worked That's there. Right. Every, everyone on this podcast tonight has worked there, including my wife worked at McDonald's, and we heard her voice a little bit ago. Yeah, that's 100% coverage. That's what really brings up the average. Dave worked there. Did Jim work at uh, at McDonald's? No, he worked at Country Made Ice Cream on uh, 303. Right. And then he worked at... Did he work at Whitey's? Whitey's for quite a while. And what else did he do? He worked as a, he worked for a pool company. And I know I'm forgetting something in there that he did. Like Morgan Stanley? <laughs> <laughs> no. Charles Schwab Dean is where right now. Oh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I thought that was a high school job. I didn't know he was still doing that. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah, he's he he's made it in this world. Maybe he'll get a Oh, okay. Oh, he's settling. Okay. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, he found a place and decided it's good enough. Charles Schwab. When Charles Schwab talks, people listen. That's E. Hutton. E- <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Now, my first job was this lady down the street. I was it, that I, was four, I, was, I was 14, and, uh, well, no, let me rephrase that. <laughs> There's this older lady down the street. She had, uh, like, this big patch, of, this big garden that... Uh, oh, she had a big patch? She, yeah, big patch. This is going awful. But she, she had this uh, large... <laughs> she had a lot of ground that needed treated. Um, well, every day I would show up, and there was a new pile of manure. It was two tons of manure every day. And it was my job to spread that on her on her plowed fields. And I forget if I did the plowing or not. I, I don't think that I did. So every day I would do this. And I was going to get paid $2.14 an hour. I don't know why she came up with the $0.14 cents on the $2. But it was my first job, so I wasn't going to question it. Maybe to cover the, the taxes? <laughs> Probably. Well, I, I actually, I don't think. I'll get to that later. <laughs> but every day, all, all summer, it was me going from 14 into 15. Every day, I would be doing that. Then I remember her saying, she was just never happy with the way I was spreading the manure around. Always would complain about it. And then one time, she wanted me to, I'd, I turned 15, and then she wanted me to start fixing her lawn tractor, uh, her lawnmower. It was like this gigantic... It was like half a step down from a real tractor. Okay. And, and expecting me to fix it. I, I, I know nothing about this. Well, what do you think I'm paying you for? And I said, well, you know, you haven't paid me yet <laughs> for the work that I've done. I've worked all, and you haven't, I've worked this time all summer and I haven't been paid yet. And that was it for me. I, I uh, said goodbye and I ended up walking home uh, from there. And yeah, she she had like... I forget how many hours it was, like a hundred hours of, of work for me, and uh, I didn't get one dime. I don't I don't know how many tons of fruit I shoveled that summer. 
But after that, I went to work for McDonald's at three twenty-five an hour, just pushing buttons at a register or mopping the bathroom floors. And I thought, this is great. This is the life. Oh my gosh, three twenty-five. And shortly thereafter, I got bumped up to three thirty-five. Yeah, I remember I was making around that, like three twenty-five an hour on the turnpike, and I thought it was great because I was making two dollars a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you work one hour there, you've made 150% your your wage at home. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the South Richfield Podcast. Our apologies to Eric Moore. We ended up going a little long. We'll try to get him on next week. Yeah, thank you for all for listening. And as always, leave us a comment on Twitter at South Richfield or send us suggestions for a future podcast episode at southwardfield at gmail.com. So thank you all for listening. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook. And we will see you all next week. Take care. That was terrific. Oh, thank you. I've been practicing.